1: The following podcast contains
2: explicit language. It's Thursday, January fifth, two thousand seventeen. From Slate, it's the Gist. I'm Mike Pesca. So I'm doing okay. Uh, yesterday I was a, uh, I guess, under the weather is a way to say it. I was, I was ill. Now I'm feeling about, yeah, I would say about seventy three percent. Not really at ninety percent. Not quite eight. Yeah, I'm at seventy three percent. Which opens up a lot of questions, doesn't it? Like when people say, I'm about 90%, you could go with it. But when people say, I don't know, I'm about 50%, you always say, well, what is 50%? Well, for, okay, let's start at this. What's zero? If you're, Does zero mean dead? It probably shouldn't mean dead. It should be off the chart, not on the negative side, just somewhere parallel. Like if you're dead, you're not feeling anything. So zero should be a place of unimaginable suffering. So then what's fifty? Is fifty like the miserableness of a really bad flu? That doesn't seem like fifty. That seems like thirty. When a football player says, "You know, it's Tuesday and I have until Sunday, and right now I'm at fifty percent, but I'm I'm hoping to get into game shape." I think we understand that that doesn't mean he's experiencing flu-like symptoms and running to the bathroom every eight minutes. So maybe depending on context, 50% means different things. But even if we could figure out what 50% means and what 90% means, by the way, we do never question 90%. No one ever says, what does 90% mean? But since we don't know what 50% means, I think we got to question what 90% means. But we'd never really give those percentages in between the zeros, maybe with the fives. Same with my oven, right? You got to preheat the oven to 350 maybe 375 never seen a recipe calling on you to preheat the oven to 329 just just crank it on up to 407 go nuts Ovens don't actually even have those numbers. My oven has a big round dial, and it has all the numbers uh, every 50, and then it has a little dot in between the 50s. There's not even much room. I couldn't even tell my oven to go to 407 if I first put it on 400. And are those really the temperatures? Is there anyone who goes inside... I suppose after many years, it will all get out of whack. But when they ship from the factory, are those temperatures that they say really the temperatures inside? I mean, I follow recipes that say cook for 26 to 28 minutes. So they're really specific on that. But then they say 450. What if it turns out that 438 at 27 minutes was the optimal time and minute setting. They'll say, they'll get specific. They won't say 26 and a half minutes. Though I have seen, you know, recipes that say, especially on the lower end of time, cook for a minute and a half. But they'll never say 361 or 387 degrees. I got one more of these. You're in the gym and you're doing a certain number of uh, sets and reps. Sets can be different, but reps usually end, uh, it's a 10, a 12, or a 15. Sometimes if you're lifting a heavy amount of weight or doing something strenuous, they'll say do six or eight. I've never seen anyone advise anyone else to do reps of 7, 11, or 14. No one has ever, no trainer has ever said, all right, you're going to crank out 14 of these overhead presses. So that's what I want to do. I want to be the trainer. I want to be the workout guru. Same exact workout as the other guy, but I'm telling you to do sets of 11. My sets go to 11. With Pesca Core CrossFit, you'll be doing sets of 11 because your body is like a high-burning oven set to 491 degrees. And if you do that, you'll be giving your 108%. On the show today, I spiel about Megan with a Y. We've all decided that Megan with a Y is a credible newswoman without a Y. And I ask, why? But first, as I rebounded from a close shave with illness, I bring you a conversation about shaving close. Our guest is Maria Konnikova. Here on The Gist, specifically the segment, Is That Bullshit, we tackle the great questions of science, great claims, sometimes pseudoscience, sometimes we make the pseudo-actual, and other times we do it in the reverse direction. But in the history of Is That Bullshit, we I don't know if we've ever taken on as important and as personal a topic as this one. When you shave, does the hair grow back thicker? Is that bullshit? Hello, Maria Konnikova. Hello, Mike. The fr- as soon as we were exposed to razors, which for me was a dangerously young age, we were told, you know, if you shave it, it'll just grow back thicker. Before we even get to the answers, do we know when people started saying that?
1: We don't, but I did discover... a a study Uh from the 1970s that tried to look at it. And I have, I mean, in our time together, we've tackled quite the variety of topics, and Mm -hmm. I've come across some very intriguing studies. Never have I come a study where researchers asked grown men to shave one of their legs but not the other. really, And then compared the resulting (laughs) hair to try to figure out whether this actually happened. I
2: guess that's a good way to do it, a good way to isolate. I mean, that's... In fact, I can't think of most A-B testing that is as precise as that. That's really good. That's controlling for a lot of elements. I mean, maybe people cross their legs in a certain way and rub off uh, hair and bald spots. Maybe people have an unconscious phototropism with their legs. But yeah, I would say that that's a good way to do it.
1: If in the 70s we already had some men walking around with one shaved and one unshaved leg, I assume that I feel pretty confident saying that at least since the mid-20th century, and I would guess probably since the invention of shaving, yeah, because as soon as people shave, they're going to pot- potentially notice a difference. We don't know yet if they do, because we haven't answered the assembly. You but.
2: know, as I think about it though, I think it might be better not to do left and right because there could be differences. We're right legged, we're left legged. Maybe people were playing soccer, and you know, leg hair was falling off. Stripes. Mm. alternating stripes and have the patterns differ for both legs. So have an ankle of hair slightly above the ankle, no hair on the left and the opposite on the right, all the way up to the thigh area.
1: It's a shame that you were not around to advise them because the study would have been much better controlled back then. Now, there were some other issues with the study, such as the fact that they only did this for four people and then drew some (laughs) pretty... But eight legs. (laughs) But eight legs, yes, exactly. But that was the first evidence of scientists trying to figure out whether shaving actually does anything. Um, Their conclusions were no. No. In that particular study. Once again, four people, eight legs. The methods have since grown more complicated and dermatologists are actually interested in this because, you know, everyone asks these days for beauty advice. Yeah. Everyone, I mean, like I said, I'm guessing that at least the 20th century we've been, we've been on this shaving kick of, you know, what actually happens when you shave. And probably even the 19th century, people are vain. Yes. People want to know although what their hair is going to look although like. Although
2: I've seen a lot of Civil War photos, maybe not as much in the 19th century, but certainly around the time that we were asserting that in olden days a glimpse of stocking was viewed as something shocking. Um, you know, if the stocking had hair, tufts of hair pulling out of it, that would be quite shocking indeed.
1: It would indeed. So so, so who did
2: this study? Who did this study in the seventies? The Nair Institute?
1: <laughs> no, it it was actually some dermatologists. Okay. Yeah. And And
2: is this one of those things where you know you joke, but this is really important in terms of surgery? Like a lot of times with pimples. Well, that's actually
1: that's a different that's
2: actually a different topic
1: because people are really wondering, you know, is it correct to shave people before surgeries? Yeah. Um, So that's a different area of research. Yeah, but that actually but that actually is but that actually is another research question. Okay. But first, I think we should talk about how hair grows. Yes. Um, And as I found out, there are two stages: telogen. And anagen.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Telogen means your hair is sleeping; it has grown, and it's going to stay that way for a while. And anagen means your hair has woken up and is now going to start growing. It's going to start inching out um, at whatever rate it inches. Now in the twenty tens, okay, right? is that our let's decade? Call, let's yeah, call it the that. 2010s. The
2: post knots.
1: The post knots. <laughs> now in the post knots, we actually have some pretty specific measurements about different parts of the body Mm. and how rapidly and how long each stage lasts. Now, we're not even talking about shaving yet. We're talking about just naturally how long does your hair last in the antigen stage and then how long does it sleep in the telogen stage? Because
2: because, uh, I think... Leg hair, for instance, it seems that if it goes unattended, it won't just grow forever. But facial hair, you know, big bushy beards get bushier over time. And even the guys with the bushiest beards, if they don't shave it, it'll be bushier next year.
1: That's very true. But if you'll notice, it's usually, I mean, I'm guessing that maybe for some people this Mm -hmm. isn't the case, but usually everyone has their sort of natural stage at which the hair falls out. Right, Because oh, hair head does hair? yeah, or, oh, all okay, hair yes, and yes. facial hair. OK, all hair falls out eventually. But what about these guys with the huge beards? well they maybe they can grow a lot of it before it falls okay, out okay yeah just like some people who have very thick hair they can grow very long hair you know yeah. down to their legs and for other people no matter how many years they don't cut their hair their hair is just never going to mm-hmm. grow to that length That's me so post-19. there's there's 19. yeah there's individual difference when mm-hmm. it comes to when it comes to hair growth so how do you how do you actually test this yeah. now that we have very fine instruments and you can actually look at, you know, what happens to hairs and you can, you can manage kind of rates of growth and all of these different things. I mean, it's crazy what these people do. It's careers devoted to figuring out well, thank God what the happens. science has caught up to our curiosity. <laughs> yes, yes. The short answer is that the hair does not grow faster and does not become thicker. However, it looks like it does. So natural hair... Uh-huh has a naturally tapered end. What happens when we shave it is we're not actually getting rid of the entire hair. We're not yanking it out. Right. Right. We're we're keeping that hair, except we're taking off that tapered end and the rest of it. And so then when it grows, what we start seeing is the blunted edge Mm. rather than the tapered end. So it's not actually any thicker.
2: It just looks thicker and it looks darker. But since most people who are considering this or who are told don't shave, it'll grow back thicker, like about your eyebrows, since all they care care about is not the actual, but the appearance, the it, answer might as well be yes. Yes, it will appear thicker. Yes. But what
1: happens in terms of the duration and the intensity of growth, mm-hmm. those things remain unchanged. So the one of the misperceptions, these, I, I don't know what dermatologists think the general public is reading, but according to them, this misperception that hairs grow faster came from studies of neonatal mice, oh, because yeah. we're all reading studies <laughs> of neonatal mice. So when you look at studies of neonatal mice, um, when you shave, it triggers a
2: switch from telogen to anagen. did you get, you get the little razor in there, in the, in the mouse... <laughs> Uh, uterus.
1: I did not read this heck? particular paper,
2: so. But neonatal means in the womb, yes?
1: Yes, so they can actually do, they can or actually... Or does it mean newly born? Um, it, it, mean, it can mean either, okay. so... so That's
2: a pretty bad word, then. Well,
1: <laughs> no. so a neonatal unit is yeah. a unit in the hospital that tracks mothers who are um, either expecting babies that are expecting to have problems right. or premature babies. Um, so my sister actually happens to be a neonatologist. Really? So she, yeah. Of, of
2: mice? No, of of humans,
1: Um, and so they. So mostly it's newborns who are born, but you can also do something called neonatal surgery, which means you actually open up the uterus and do some surgery, and then. So when we talk about the
2: neonatal mice, though, it's usually mice that have just been born.
1: Yes. Okay.
2: Yes. And people have been shaving them.
1: People have been shaving them. (gasps) Oh God. Yeah. And what they find? Um, So what they find is that when you shave them. I can't keep a straight face. Yeah. When you shave these neonatal mice, yeah. um, they it ends up triggering antigen that might make people think that the hair is suddenly growing faster because the hairs were asleep and then they suddenly wake up. So, so this it is the version of slapping face. the baby, yeah. shaving
2: the mo- mouse. Exactly. You so don't want to s- shave the mouse, so
1: you slap it yeah. and then the hair starts growing, right? Whereas before it was sleeping. Interesting. But it doesn't actually change the duration. Of the hair growth it Mm -hmm. will then it just kind of resets the phase and then the hair will stop growing as soon as it naturally stops growing but you know what we actually have found out as well which i think might be where the misperception actually comes from rather than neonatal mice when do you shave more in the winter or the summer
2: i guess the summer right
1: that's what I would yeah, guess. Yeah, yeah. Um, and it ends up that there's a seasonality to the rate of our hair growth. Ah. So hair, we're like crops, we're like wheat. Hair actually grows faster in the spring and summer and grows slower. It's at its slowest stage in the fall and winter. These just are just the, when you need it. Exactly. Just when you need the big bushy beard. So so Mike, these are the things I find out for is yeah. this bullshit.
2: Yeah. This is your payment. We pay you in knowledge. And also antigen and what are the two words? Antigen, intelligent. Anagen intelligent. Um, I think it probably came from not a misperception of the study of needle neonatal mice. I think it probably came from someone shaved the part where their eyebrows met and then it looked thicker to them. And they said, "Ah, oh, it looks thicker. Yes. And it was thicker because if it looks thicker, it is. Well, you're right. If it looks thicker, that's the important thing. But the other part of uh, the don't shave it, pluck it out that might have some credence to it. Because if you do pluck it out, are you getting it at its roots? So if you actually get the entire hair, then that is fine.
1: Because mm-hmm. you will have a fresh hair that's growing naturally without that blunted end.
2: Ah, so plucked hair. that Now this is all making sense. So plucked hair looks less thick because it doesn't have the blunted end. Yes. yes, if you
1: pluck correctly. Some people don't pluck correctly. Yes, now I'm sounding like a beautician, but if you actually have to, or, or you, have to yeah. <laughs> you have to get. get <laughs> You have to get it all out. Yeah. And if you do, then you're golden.
2: <laughs> yeah. It's plucking hard. It really is. It's, it's a plucking hassle. Mm. That's what I find. Mm-hmm. All right, But now we could render our verdict, and the question is, when you shave your hair, or someone or a loved ones, or a loved mouse, um, when you shave your hair, it comes back thicker lusher, faster. Is that bullshit?
1: That is bullshit.
2: But I think we need to do the... uh,
1: But, but. yes, but if you shave it, it might appear to be thicker because you are looking at the blunted end rather than the natural tapered end. From an end. aesthetic
2: standpoint, it's not just uh, perception. There is, well, it is perception, but there's reality to the perception. Yes. I love Yes, this. this was, I think, a very successful segment.
1: I agree. I mean, who knew that we grew like crops, that yeah. we have crop rotation going on on our heads?
2: It was plucking fascinating. Yeah? Yeah. Maria Konnikova, author of The Confidence Game, is both astute And not particularly here suit. Thank you, Maria. Thank you, Mike. And now the spiel. Every election has winners and losers. Losers of this last one, the Princeton Election Consortium, the Blue Wall, some 400-pound guy on a bed. Winners, Breitbart. Dilbert, but most of all, Megyn Kelly, the most sought after woman in news, has jumped to NBC and pains to her beauty, her acumen, her poise and charisma have been pouring forth. Now, judged against the tail end of happy hour crowd at the VFW Hall demo that holds down much of the Fox News prime time programming, yeah, Megyn Kelly is a veritable Valkyrie of virtue. Kelly is a good questioner and She often surprisingly veers away from the Fox News talking points. Often, but not always, and not in the area that Fox News has so sinisterly become adept at stoking, race relations. Let me get Mark to weigh in on on the point about how we've gone to the race place on this. That Mark being asked to weigh in is Mark Furman. You remember Mark Furman. Mark Furman is a Fox News contributor and a former LAPD homicide detective. Furman, during this summer of policing discontent, was Kelly's go-to guest. He, like her, is sure spoken steely-eyed, and has a Teutonic forcefulness on television. He was on the Kelly File a half-dozen times this summer alone, and she relied on the man who lost the OJ trial for real insight and wisdom. Mark, you need a quick answer on this, but do you think that, that there were, the cops have been demeaned by members of the public? No better person to ask about the intersection between policing and being demeaning than Mark Furman. Now look, if I had a chance to interview Mark Furman, I'd take it. I wouldn't keep having him back on again and again and pushing him out there as an unblemished source of wisdom and insight. And I definitely would challenge him on some basic precepts of his argument. Now his argument Has been, this is what he says on the Kelly file, and this is an argument she puts out there all the time, is that police right now are being handcuffed by activists and do gooders. Here was Kelly on Tuesday night talking about the appalling increase in murder in Chicago.
0: Well, the former top cop in Chicago says he knows what's going on in his city. And in what he calls a disturbing case of irony, he says the deaths we're seeing are the byproduct of a group that claims to be trying to stop the violence, Black Lives Matter.
2: Kelly has quoted those who blame the Black Lives Matter. She herself blames elements in the Black Lives Matter movement. She says they've created an anti-cop atmosphere, and she almost never has a policing segment without one of her two guests, often a Black guest, often Mark Furman, to criticize the Black Lives Matter movement. And when they do this, they define the movement as they want to define it, which is to say that they say the Black Lives Matter movement has a message that cops are out to kill African Americans. Two nights ago, Kelly had an entire discussion about the Chicago murder increase, where her premise was how much Black Lives Matter is to blame. Though she did have guests from both sides of the issue, she never brought up. This other city besides Chicago, where murder has fallen, as have arrest rates and stop and frisk. This city is a city she calls home, where she hosts her TV show out of. It is basically impossible for a Fox viewer to learn or consider this fact, that the entire set of circumstances that they say is dooming Chicago is also in place in a much bigger city, New York. And that set of circumstances, less oppressive policing has led to a decrease in murder. Fox never considers this. Kelly never brings this up, and neither do her guests. The dominant message is that murder is up, and nationally it is up a little bit, and that it's the crackdown on policing, which they call the Ferguson effect, that explains this. As Megan Kelly comes to NBC, I'll be interested to note if she brings this blinkered point of view with her, along with her unflappable demeanor and cobalt eyes. Kelly has gifts, and perhaps she needs to be judged on the Fox curve, which is to say that, for Fox, she and Shepard Smith occasionally demonstrate some critical thinking and the ability to ask good questions. But she often doesn't. Last night's guests included Amarosa. Amarosa Matigault, actually Teresa Matigault, Amarosa is middle name, nickname, was named as Director of Communications for the Office of Public Liaison in the White House. So this was Matigault's first interview since being named to the Post. And here is how Kelly questioned the recidivist reality show contestant about a statement she made to PBS.
0: You've been fun, so fun to watch on, on The Apprentice. You were always the, a crowd favorite, including my own. Mm-hmm. Um, but you made controversy earlier this, week, this year on this PBS Frontline documentary when you said that, well, I'll just play this sound, but here it is. Uh-oh. <laughs> every critic, every detractor will
1: have to bow down to President Trump. It's everyone who's ever doubted Donald, whoever disagreed, whoever challenged him. It is the ultimate revenge to become the most powerful man in
0: the universe. Now, wow! It, it sounds so ominous.
1: It with does the with the music, music and the lighting. Um, do you, I tape that. Yeah. Do you want to uh, explain Probably that? four or five months before you know I joined the campaign.
2: And then Manafort, I do like being the only person who calls her by her surname. Basically said that Trump's election represents a time of reckoning among the formerly dubious. Though we did hear Madigold saying that that PBS interview was done months before she joined the Trump campaign. Therefore, I guess her argument is, had I known that it mattered and I was being accountable, I would have tempered my true thoughts, something like that. But in fact, her assertion, it was done months before. This is what many of us in news might at one time have called a lie. That interview happened on June 23rd. 2016. And Donald Trump appointed Manigault, his director of African-American outreach, the first day of the Republican National Convention, which is to say July 18th, 25 days, not months after the interview happened. Additionally, for the six months prior to officially being named Director of African-American Outreach, Madigal served as a board member for the National Diversity Coalition for Trump. She did interviews for Trump. She was quoted as a Trump surrogate and was generally known to be on the Trump team. It's one of the reasons why she was interviewed. Kelly either didn't note it, didn't care, but she let it go. It was just one moment, but one of Kelly's jobs at NBC is said to be interviews with newsmakers and personalities. She was clearly treating Omarosa as a personality, even though she has a job in the White House, but she didn't do a good enough job interviewing this personality. She didn't reveal anything or get anywhere. This past year with Fox, Kelly did a primetime Barbara Walters-esque special, and it generally fizzled. There was a Trump interview that was more gauzy than gritty, and there were a couple of duds of interviews with the likes of Laverne Cox, Robert Shapiro, and Michael Douglas. There's a special alchemy to these kinds of interviews, and I'm not the intended audience for them. But as for the hard news, I can see why Megyn Kelly has a sheen about her. I'm just not sure her star will translate when judged against the more conventional stable of pre-post-truth journalism embraced by NBC. And that's it for today's show. Chris Berube and Mary Wilson are on cloud eh, seven and a half, maybe eight and a third. When Steve Lichtai, executive producer of Slate Podcasts, was a young man, he'd go to confession and the priest would assign him Four Hail Marys and a Baker's Dozen Our Fathers. Andy Bowers, Chief Content Officer of the Panoply Network, spent some time in the second city, Chicago. St. Louis, the 29th city. Asheboro, North Carolina, the 181st city. The gist we support a national highway built cap the speed limit at 63, 61 in a school zone. de Peru Peru, and thanks for listening.